bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Blake Mazzarini, and this is Go Time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. We are back for another episode of Go Time. It is episode number 21. Today's show is sponsored by Linode and Code School. Uh, on the show today, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. We have Carlicia Campos. Say hello, Carlicia. Hi, everybody. And Brian Kettleson. I love it when you say, say hello, Carlicia. It sounds like we're trained animals. <laughs> <laughs> and then our special guest today is a true OG, original gopher, uh, Blake Miserani. How are you, Blake? Good. How are you? Doing good. So you've been around since uh, 2009, 2010, I think you started with Go? Yeah, the Google and Luis um, Go immediately took notice and haven't really looked back ever since and these days you're you're doing all go right yes correct and i'd like i'd love to kind of hear like how you've seen the both the kind of language the usage of the language and the community the demographic of the community change kind of over time because you've been around since kind of uh it was first released and it was kind of people poking at it till now, which is almost everything being done in the distributed systems world is being built with Go. Yeah, I mean, uh, early on when I um, first saw Go, I took notice as I was working at Heroku, where we were building and working on a lot of distributed systems. And the appeal to me was mostly because everything we had done up until that point at Heroku and continued to do after that was uh, a lot of Ruby. And it wasn't really holding up for us as, as well as we hoped. We'd spent most of our time fighting fires with it and not getting the performance out of it that we had hoped we'd be able to achieve. And Go really struck me as this language that would solve a lot of the problems. In fact, my colleague at the time, and he's also an OG gopher, Keith Rarick, and I um, really started playing with Go uh, together. And... You know, we just before it was released, we both went to one of the founders of Roku and, and said, you know, we, we really probably should start looking into building a language for distributed systems. And uh, which was really dumb for a startup to really be thinking about. But, you know, we were we were excited at the idea. And then like two weeks later, Go came out and uh, we looked at it and we're like, well, I guess we don't have to do this anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> timing is everything. Yeah. So, yeah. So we started using it pretty happily after that. Um, it took broke a while to adopt it, but Keith and I definitely used it for a lot of stuff. These stories always fascinate me. Um, when I found out that people were writing, tests in Go were running so much faster than same size apps in Ruby, because I also came from Ruby and Ruby on Rails. I, that was what got my interest. So I'm wondering with you, when you looked at Go, what looked at Go means uh, did you do a uh, dry run or did you just jump in and, and hoped for the best and you worked out? If it was the first case, what did you do in the benchmarking? How did you, how did your decision making go more specifically? Well, we didn't have to do any real formal benchmarking. I mean, writing a quick little hello world and go uh, compiling it and running it was that, I mean, 
just a, a few little pokes at it with a browser. If it was a web server, it was an obvious, you know, night and day difference from anything that we had written in Ruby. So, uh, you know, it was it was pretty obvious at that point that that was the, the direction that we wanted to go was was to start using Go. Yeah, and I mean, I want to say that that time in 2009 to, to just hit um, an endpoint in Ruby on Rails was still three-digit response times, like 100 milliseconds, 150 milliseconds. So to drop down to single digit meant the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, well, one of the things that we, I was, I was working on a small project at Roku at the time when I really, really started to use Go. And uh, one thing I noticed was that we needed some sort of, you know, um, service discovery and we needed some, you know, uh, like configuration management. And so Keith and I picked up the the chubby paper that Google had put out, and uh, we worked on implementing our own multi-paxless implementation. Since the only one that was really out there at the time was Zookeeper, in fact, I think that was the only one that was open sourced. Uh, well, no, there were others. I think um, some couple out of Berkeley, but we immediately looked at, at you know the design of Paxos and and Go's you know concurrency and and how how it all just it just seemed to just meld together really well, and we were able to crank out a multi-paxos, a basic multi-paxos implementation relatively quickly. And uh, in fact, I remember after we did that, I immediately reached out to Rob Pike, sent him an email and said, hey, we built a multi-paxos implementation in Go. We'd love it if you'd come take a look and let us know, you know what you think. And so he came by and took a look. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think I'm more excited about the fact that Rob showed up when I emailed him. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was like a real, it really spoke to the power of, the language was that you know you can work on some pretty hard problems in it and and come up with some reasonably simple solutions um you know and and the language really allows for that yeah so i have a confession it, it was doozer that got me hooked into go i i played with it when it first came out in in 2009 but i didn't really see i didn't see the vision for go yet and then i saw doozer and it, it blew me away i realized that that we could build all kinds of crazy stuff with it. And that's, that's actually how Eric and I met. I, I fell in love with Go because of Doozer and then hired Eric to do Go. And, you know, it's kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doozer was a, a lot of fun to play with in the beginning. And for anybody who's not familiar with it, it's a lot like uh, Zookeeper and etcd and console of this generation. But there was a lot of functionality that it had that Zookeeper didn't which is one of the reasons that we liked it. Um, I, I want to I say it had something to do with the way the paths were watched um, at a specific version or something like that. Right. We, had, we, we did a persistent data. Uh, we, we used a persistent data structure to be able to track changes so you could pick up where you left off during a disconnect or after a disconnect, which was, which was pretty nice. Yeah, so you could start watching a path at a certain point in time, which was really cool. It was awesome for us because we were doing kind of some service discovery stuff and distributed systems. And when you looked at that, if you did Zookeeper, you would have to kind of resync periodically. If you lost your session, you'd have to reconcile the differences. Right. And you see kind of that uh, mirrored now in things like etcd, where you, you, whenever you get a listing of a path, you get back the specific version. That way you can start your watch from that point on. And right. There's always that chance that you'll miss the window. You know, if you go offline for too long, you'll have to resync, but it's more of a form of optimization. Still pretty cool. 
So with that project, how much like Ruby baggage do you feel like you you brought along? Because that kind of turns out to be the thing whenever you adopt a new language as you bring. Right. So one of the first things Keith and I wrote was an assert package for the testing suite. Um, not long after that, we implemented uh, a small like Sinatra style router called Pat. And within probably three to four weeks after creating uh, both of those, we ditched them and just never used them again and continued to use the standard library. Although I think Pat continues to be pretty successful. I haven't looked at it in a really long time, but I think Gorilla adopted it at some point. But I, I, I avoid a lot of those, those, those frameworks. I'm not really familiar with where they are. But, uh, but yeah, so to speak to that, yes, we brought a lot of stuff over from Ruby earlier on. I was definitely looking. I remember looking for certain things to exist in Go I was used to having in Ruby, and it took me a while to break that habit. But once I did, everything's everything got better. So yeah, I feel like for some of like the open source projects, like you release into the world, like there's some of them I feel like I should go back and change the README to be like, I no longer use this. Neither should you. <laughs> yeah, I did. You go go look at the Pat README. I think it literally says like, I don't use this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know one of the first questions that almost everybody asks when they come to go is you know which which web framework should i use which framework should i use for this which framework should i use for that and and it's it's really a strong question that we get especially in the the go for slack channel every day yeah and i know you're you're kind of um anti-framework uh what what would your suggestion be to a new gopher coming in and, and wanting to write something you know, when it when it comes to just using the standard live, that's kind of a hard message to tell. Yeah, I don't really have a go to answer for that. I think everyone has their own you know, goals when they come to the language. So it really depends on what they're trying to do. I think most when someone wants to write just like a simple, you know, web app, they can certainly get away with just using the standard library. And the standard library will take you extremely far. In fact, I, I've never had to or felt the desire to need a framework, and I've built some pretty, pretty big web apps and APIs. But I mean, I, I think some people are also looking for, you know, I want, you know, I've got a checklist of things I need out of the box so that I can get started today. And uh, you know, I, I I don't have an answer for them on that, but I hear, you know, I hear things about Gorilla or you know Martini or things like that, but. To answer your question, I don't know. I don't have an answer. <laughs> and I wonder too, I don't know how it is with the Python community or other communities, but with the Ruby community, it was, the message was so strong. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't, um, you know, write things yourself. If there's a library out there, use it. Always also the message of uh, extract your code into a, into a, a gem and use that and also share with other people so they can use it. So I can see how people coming, at least from Ruby, would be immediately looking for a library or a framework, not so much because they don't want to write code, but because that was the, such a strong message. Right. You know, I, I mean, usually what I advocate in, that, in those scenarios is, is I go look for something that does what you're looking for and then copy and paste it <laughs> into your code. Usually it's, there's some... You know, obviously, I can give attribution um, as well, but usually, what I what I see when people ask that is that they're they're looking for you know a quick fix that like uh, there's something that's already uh, how do I phrase this? 
I think they're assuming the problem is going to be harder than, or the solution to their problem is going to be much, much harder and much more complicated um, than it really is. And so they, you know, I, what I see is people reach for something. I mean, for instance, uh, one, one thing I've no, I mean, and not to, to point fingers at anyone, but I've, I've seen libraries where people have written a, an entire library to do exponential back off. And I mean, to me, that's a really simple for loop and some, and a random sleep, you know, it's like, it's not, it's nothing, it's nothing too complicated, but I, I, I see it. I see lots of, and, and, and what I see in those libraries also is that what they, what they wind up doing is it, you wind up with something that's, um, it's much harder to use and requires more code to use the thing than it would had you just implemented it yourself. Um, so usually that's what I say full is look into, look at, you know, just like really dissect the problem down to, you know, what it, what it really is and, and try to come up with the simplest solution. And a lot of times it can be solved with a for loop, you know, <laughs> there is a very good point. Um, I started writing an app, a Greenfield app that I know is going to be in production sometime soon. And of course, my being new to go, my react, my first reaction was, well, let me look for some, some libraries that do this stuff that I haven't done since I worked with Java. I haven't done uh, codes that directly access a database for ages because I had been working with Ruby and I had libraries that, that did that. I mean, Rails itself did that. So I was looking for that framework just to give me a little bit of an edge. And uh, because, so I didn't have so much of a learning curve, like I'm learning things in Go still. And, you know, I don't want to be looking into all of that at the same time. But now that I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing, I'm thinking next project I do, I'm, I don't even want to use the libraries. I want to focus more on using the standard library, learning what the standard library offers and be more intimate with that. Because right. I think it's going to be to my benefit uh, knowing that and also using idiomatic Go and uh, not depend so much on what uh, framework is out there because it might be that this framework would be good for this and that framework would be good for that. No framework is going to be good for everything. And you might as well just know how to do it. Right. And, and like you're saying, I think your point is so good because it ends up not being that hard. Now, after I looked at it, I was like, okay, this is not that complicated. Right. I think you hit on it a little bit at a uh, talk you did, I believe it was at .go a couple of years ago, where you talked about... Uh, like predeterminism, like when you, you attack a problem and you think you already know what you need. And for most of us, especially when you come from, you know, Python with Django or Ruby with Rails, you feel like, okay, I need to build a web app. I need a framework because that's what I'm used to, to having when I build one instead of kind of starting to build it and figuring out what you want and what you need as you go along. Now on the, on the other side of that, I wouldn't recommend implementing your own database driver or cryptography <laughs> library or, you know, like bucketed rate limiting, you know, I mean, those, those types of things aren't, aren't like something you just kind of throw together pretty quickly and then be done with it. They're, they definitely require quite a bit of thought. Um, but they're, but the nice thing about those is that they have very specific problems that they solve rather than trying to solve every single problem, you know? So that's a fair point. That's generally when I start, you know, bringing things in and bringing uh, dependencies in is, is it's something like that. If it's a problem that is only ever explained in formal papers, you probably want a library for it. 
<laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I've implement, I implemented the first Postgres driver for Go and uh, for the database SQL package. And I, I'm here to tell you that it's not something you just want to do. You know, it, I, I had to do it at the time because nothing existed, but I, I would have preferred someone else did it. <laughs> yeah. So that's a that's a good question, too, because you came in so early and library, there weren't a lot of libraries existing already. So you, you kind of had to pave the way anyway. Do you feel like that kind of influences your desire to just kind of write it from scratch most of the time? Or is it really just you don't want the overhead of pulling in 10,000 lines of code to save yourself one for loop? I, yeah, I mean, it depends on what we're trying to do. You know, if if we're, you know, and by I say we, I mean, us at Backplane, um, if we're, you know, trying to get something done by the end of the week, you know, there's there's no problem with bringing the dependency in, but we'll definitely reevaluate it pretty quickly, you know, um, but it, it, it is, there is this like strong urge a lot of times where I just want to like go off and say like, oh, I'm just going to do this myself. It sounds like fun, you know, but I, I have to, you know, definitely have to stop myself because a lot of the things that, you know, a lot of things that people work on are, are, are hard problems. You know, a lot of these packages out there, it's not worth rewriting. I don't know, does that, does that answer your question? No, yeah, I definitely think it does. But yeah, there's there's a not invented here syndrome that people can get wrapped up into. But like you said, I think you just kind of have to be pragmatic about your decision of whether or not to pull in a dependency or, or rewrite it yourself. And be self-aware as well, just to make sure you're not doing it just to do it, you know. Unless you want to for fun. Right. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. There, there's there's some context needed there. I mean, if you're if you want to do it for fun, then, you know, by all means, you're trying to get something out the door. Know, or put something into production. So I know we've we've only got a few minutes left with you because you've got a hard stop in a few minutes here. But uh, my big question for you is uh, around building a startup and go. What what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs uh, who are considering using Go for startups? I think they should. Um, again, but also depending on what it is they're trying to do. Uh, for us, it's been it's been a real boon. We're extremely productive. We're building. We're working on a distributed systems uh, systems y things here and go suits us extremely well and, and helps solve a lot of the problems um, with fairly relative ease uh, while also maintaining a lot of performance but I don't know it's a tough question I, I mean do you have any more context you can give me around your question or no no I was just curious um, you know now that you've you've had almost a year in go as a CEO of a startup is there is there anything that you would change? Uh, are you having a difficult time finding developers? Is is the talent pool big? Is the you know the language mature enough? You know those are all questions that that um, investors and entrepreneurs want to answer before they start to commit to something like a language. Right. I think I think what's great about Go is that it it's easy to learn, and so if you're having trouble finding people that aren't you know as you know senior as you might hope the the nice thing the great thing about it is is that uh people can learn extremely fast um so i did spend quite a bit of time in fact if decide to give any advice i did i did spend quite a bit of time early on and probably spent too much time early on trying to find really really like you know extremely like seasoned go engineers 
and uh, they're extremely hard to come by and they're in very high demand. Um, and so at some point, you know, it, it turns out like I didn't, you don't have to like go after those people. You can easily find people that are extremely, extremely intelligent and extremely willing to learn and who are extremely hungry and want to learn. And they learn really fast when they're in that mindset. So uh, don't, don't try to go find the rock stars all the time. You know, like, if, if, I mean, if you can get them, great. But uh, it's, the language itself lends, lends itself to be learned very easily. Very good. All right. Well, we know that uh, you've got to go quickly, so we will say our thanks and goodbyes. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you and bye. Take it easy. Oh, what a bummer that he had to leave so early. I know. Why do we all have to have jobs? I know. Who wants to work? <laughs> the good news is there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the Go community, so we can uh, we can talk a lot about all of the exciting things that have been happening. I've seen a thousand cool Go projects this week. Yeah, so um, before we kind of jump on this, why don't we talk about uh, one of our sponsors, because this is a nice clean break, and then we can kind of jump into some interesting Go projects and news. Well, that's a great idea. Why don't we shout out to Linode, because they're our favorite cloud server hosting platform. Linode is what Changelog has built their entirely new CMS platform on. And I bet we're going to talk about that a little bit before the end of the show too, because it's hot news. Uh, you can go over to linode.com slash go time to get started. You get to choose your own flavor of Linux, the resources and the location of the nodes you want to spin up. They have eight different data centers across the world that you can choose from and plans that start at just $10 a month for full root access to your VMs. So uh, use the code GOTIME20 to get two free months that's twenty dollars credit with unlimited uses so you can tell all your friends awesome now what do i have to do to get free root access to your vms <laughs> uh, probably just steal an ssh private key uh, so you had mentioned too that um all of the new changelog stuff is hosted on linode which if anybody has not seen yet you should go check out the new changelog site and the new gotime fm site Everybody, Adam and Jared and team have been working tirelessly on this for I don't know how many months and it is finally here and it is fantastic. And also it's backed by Fastly's CDN, which um, Carlicia is working for right now. Yay. Yay, Fastly. Fastly is awesome. <laughs> I'm excited because it's written in Elixir and Phoenix and I would love to see uh, the the code, I know that in their blog post, they mentioned that they planned on open sourcing it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing an implementation of of a serious system in Phoenix so that I can get a, a better idea of, of what that looks like. It's, it's on my to-do list for this year to to play with Elixir and Phoenix because they, they seem like interesting technologies. Yeah, so that's actually an, uh, an interesting point that I forgot to mention is that, that they're releasing all of this open source. So if you plan on running your own podcast or series of podcasts, you got the hookup from Changelog. Yeah. Well, but any CMS in general, this is just this is a CMS that they put the podcast content on top of. That's true. You could just use it just as a CMS. So Adam in in uh, the GoTime FM channel is saying they're still polishing some things up, writing the README and stuff, but it won't be long. Um, if you're subscribed to Changelog Weekly, you will see it when it's announced. If you're subscribed to Changelog Weekly, you'll see it at the top of the coolest GitHub repository list 
Oh, that's the change log nightly. Never mind. That's that's <laughs> that's my trigger to go to bed. Did I ever mention that? Yeah. So, the, so yeah, change log nightly come comes out at like midnight every night. I'm like, oh shoot, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> See, I get all these newsletters, and there's always cool things in there, and I don't have time. And I'll have like, I'll so I'll typically have multiple browser windows open, which are kind of like context, like work and non-work. And then the non-work one is always full of all the tabs that come from these emails and Twitter and people sending me direct links. And then they hang out there and, you know, there'll be 30 tabs and then I'll look at two or three of them. And then eventually I abandon the rest because they've been hanging out there too long. So I just leave, I just leave Brian to curate it for me. He tells me what the good stuff is. Well, that's a problem. I've been so busy lately. I haven't even looked at most of the good stuff. I have a giant list of things that look interesting to touch and haven't played with them at all, which makes me sad. Although I did do something pretty cool this week. That's kind of fun. To, I think I, if you follow me on Twitter, you'd have seen it. I, it, I embedded a term terminal term JS term dot JS terminal inside goes present tool and hacked up the present tool to understand uh, a syntax to open and create and attach to a Docker container so that you could have a live terminal embedded in your uh, presentation. And that was probably the most fun hack I've done in months and months and months. It was so cool. So does does the name of this, when you open source it, is it going to have Hightower in it because it helps facilitate giving <laughs> live demos like Kelsey? I don't know. You know, I, I've been trying to think about a name for it. And, uh, you know, I wanted something with Frankenstein in the name for it because it's just this giant ball of spaghetti garbage code right now. Um, at this point, I'm calling it present term, but who knows? Names accepted. I think it was Brad that called you out on that, that he did it at the first GopherCon. I saw that this morning. I was so mad. You know, here I was thinking I was trailblazing. Brad did it in 2014. Thanks, Brad. Shut me down. There are no there are no great inventions. Somebody else has already done it before you. I know. <laughs> Cranky. Uh, so let's talk about some other uh, news and projects that everybody's kind of run across this week. Carlisi, you got anything for us? I do, actually. So I work a lot with APIs. And uh, some time ago, I was, I googled, um, you know, I have this JSON, I have to write a struct for it. Maybe there is a way to convert the JSON to structs because, you know, I'm lazy. And there was. I could not believe it. And it's such a nice, it has such a nice UI. And when I looked at it, it was made by Metal. And it's, frankly, it's unbelievable how many things Matt does. And they all, <laughs> all of them, everything he does is so well done. Um, really love it. So it's uh, Jason to go. Uh, we'll put the link on the show. It basically, you drop some Jason and you magically transform that into Go structs for you. Like, <laughs> this cannot get any easier. And also, sorry? I was going to say it's magical. I've used it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, right, because you do this all the time. You're pinging an API, and you need to receive that into a, a struct. It's so handy to have that. You basically just copy the struct and put it in your code, and voila. Mm -hmm. And the same way, he has a curl-to-go tool where you paste the curl, let's say a call to an API, 
and it will give you the the uh, the, the Go client to make that call, and you paste it in your code, and it will, it will work. <laughs> it's like magic. So thank you, Matt, for doing those tools. Those are great. Good call. So I've got a fun one that uh, ran across that was created by uh, Nate Finch. I want to say it's pronounced Gorum. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's like a command line uh, application where you can kind of specify a package and then the method and parameters that you want to call all on the command line. So it's like writing single line Go apps from the command line, which is just ridiculously cool. And I've started writing some shell scripts using it because it's just, it's easier to do than bash. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. You can call any standard live function and it will do all of the smart stuff to convert your, your uh, bash parameters into the correct types to make that, that call. And it's, I just, I think I said on Twitter, it's one of the coolest hacks I've seen in forever. It's, it's really neat. So shout out to Nate. Yeah. I'm interested to see the motivation behind creating it. Like that's always the fun part for me is like you, you run across these projects that are really cool and you start playing with them. But I want to understand like what was going through somebody's head. Like what was the problem he was trying to solve with this? Well, let's get him on the show. We should. We should. Nate's done a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Noted. Nate Finch on the show. If you're out there, Nate, we're looking for you. <laughs> Wanted. No is not an acceptable answer. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've got another one. Um, uh, I think it's, it's Bjarn Eric Peterson that released React and Go today, his Go React library for um, Go for JS. And I played with it way back in. December maybe of last year when it was really brand new and it wasn't quite ready for prime time yet. And he's still kind of couching saying that it is, um, it's still not production ready, but the fact that he's released it to the public means it might be. So if you're not familiar with go for JS, it's a, a go transpiler that, uh, emits JavaScript lets you use go on the front end and the go react is a go for JS wrapper around react so you can write react apps without writing any javascript and that my friends is a win that's really interesting because that typically is the way i'm doing web apps these days is kind of thick client with react and go on the api side so it'd be interesting to see writing the react and go but i i find like I'm not always a big fan of that because even in the um, Ruby world and Carlicia and Brian, you guys probably both remember this, but remember RJS mm -hmm. where you yeah. kind of wrote. Uh, so, so this was, I, I don't know whether it's still there, but it was pre three. There was something called RJS where basically you wrote your JavaScript uh, implement, your JavaScript functionality calling into your app um, in your templates using Ruby and it kind of generated JavaScript on the outside. And I was, I was just never really a big fan of that. So it's kind of like uh, doing the same thing and you wonder how much you want to cross into the other side, but I'd, I'd be interested to see what the API for it looks like because it may, it, it looks very go-ish and it's, it's really not bad. The, the, the fundamental problem I have with it is that you have to understand react before you can use go react. And in order to understand React, you've got to learn from 
from all of the tutorials and places out there that are using the JavaScript version or the JSX version or whatever those are called. So, you know, there's a, a disconnect, a mental disconnect when you're reading these tutorials on how you're going to implement that on the Go side of things. And that makes it a little bit harder. If, if you know React really well already, then it's probably not a big deal. But, but learning to use a, a transpiler like that gets complicated. I think that falls into the, the leaky abstraction category where, you know, you're trying to abstract some concept, but you still have to have some deep understanding of the thing you're abstracting. Yeah. All right. What else do we got? So DigitalOcean just released a library called Go QEMU, and I never knew how to pronounce QEMU, but it allows you to interact with the virtual machines uh, from Go. So you can launch VMs from either the, the host machine or over TCP across the network. You can start them, stop them, uh, get information about them. So if, if playing with VMs is in your to-do list, there's a, a really nice Go wrapper for QEMU from DigitalOcean that was just released today. Oh, interesting. I have not seen that at all. It's, it's interesting to me because I, I have been looking at ways to spin up VMs really quickly. And what timing? All right. So that is now in one of my many tabs. <laughs> <laughs> Yet another tab. It, it's like a, a to-do list that never dies. So um, one thing I did want to touch on, too, is um, a new repo that uh, Corey Lanou has been working on, which is like it, kind of like this recipe for starting a meetup group, which I think is really awesome because we really need more of these happening uh, around the country. It's, it's great to, to spread out, to share our knowledge and, and to get more people interested in the language we love and to give people a forum to kind of dip their toes into public speaking and, and things like that. So I highly suggest um, everybody check that out if there's not a meetup group in your area. Where's the repo for that? Uh, I will drop it in the GoTime FM channel. It's Corey, uh, slash Corey Lanou slash go hyphen meetup. Awesome. Yeah, this uh, repo is really fantastic. I haven't seen better uh, suggestions for running a meetup than here. So, no, it's really the the meetup bible. I I pointed somebody at it maybe two days ago. So, it's it's good stuff. Go Corey. Yeah, I I might need to help expand this or something too because I've had a goal since like 2014, maybe even a little earlier which is to kind of consolidate a lot of like the lessons learned um, that Brian and I have learned from organizing conferences and stuff too, and maybe help people with a recipe to start, you know, smaller regional events too, to kind of help more stages is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm looking at it, just one comment I have for you, Corey, I know you are on Slack right now. Not every meetup has to be, People presenting, for example, the meetup we do in San Diego, we don't do presentations. We do we get together in coldest groups, and that it's amazing. Everybody loves it. As at least I have not seen anybody say I would prefer presentations. Everybody loves this format, so it's a it's another option too. You know, and I think Brian and I are guilty of that too because the the Go Tampa meetup. I don't think we've had a, a meetup in a while, and it's mainly because it's. 
we feel like it's hard to prepare presentations. We're always so busy. So trying to make the time to create presentations um, gets difficult. And then we don't end up scheduling a meetup. And really, I think people just want to hang out and talk go. So I think we need to do a better job of doing stuff like that. Just, you know, get everybody together and, and help each other with with projects and problems that we're working on, or even if it's just beers and socializing and talking about Go. Um, I think that there's still value in that. And I need to connect with that myself, that there doesn't have to be a presentation ready to to run it. And I stand corrected. There is a section on that repo that talks about other options, options other than having speakers. And I, I agree with you, Eric. I see people struggling to find speakers sometimes. So it's, it's nice to know that you can do other things as well. Yeah, so we had a Ruby meetup here that was doing a really cool thing. And I, I, I forget what frequency they were doing them on. But basically what they would do is they would pose a small uh, problem, almost like the exorcism IO problems. And everybody would submit them anonymously to the meetup organizers. And then you, in order to attend, you had to have submitted and then basically everybody would kind of sit there and together collectively code review all of the submissions in kind of like this anonymous fashion. So nobody had to feel guilty, you know, that people were saying something about them personally or would know that they made, you know, some silly mistake or something like that. And it was actually a really cool idea. And it, it wouldn't be bad to try that in the Go world, too, where people submit even exorcism IO problems and we get together in person and, and uh, talk about it. That's a great idea. You know, um, when we talked to Katrina, she mentioned that one of the things that they really needed was was reviewers. So we could actually do like a review-a-thon as a meetup topic and sit sit down together and kind of use groupthink to, to think about the best way to attack a problem. That's true. Like not even have to have uh, their own submissions. Just yeah. Collectively as a group review other things. That's cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. With exorcism, you do have to do a submission for the exercise before you're able to comment on that exercise. So at least one person would have to. But I also see the benefit of everybody working on the exercise, submitting it, and then doing a review. This person can add comments separately, but as, separately, but as a group. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like this. Yeah, just have everybody who's showing up as a prerequisite to submit this. But you can also do that during the meetup because, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't feel motivated. Oh, that's the extra thing that I have to do. But if you're in a meetup with, with a group of people, everybody doing the same thing, it's more motivating. Just a thought. Good one. Yeah, definitely something to play with. All right. So I found a, another package that I bookmarked. And I'm just going through my GitHub stars to, to remind me of interesting things. This one is called GoConv, C-O-N-V, and it's by uh, C. Stockton on GitHub. And it does reflectionless conversions from Go's native type. So you can convert us a, a byte array to a string or uh, the word true to a Boolean. And it does it without reflection and promises to be faster than... Uh, the other kinds of things like that that do it with reflection. So I'm kind of interested in seeing whether that is a useful package. Uh, I haven't played with it yet, so I don't have any opinions, but it's it's something we do a lot of is conversions and doing them well is never easy. So be an interesting one to take a look at. 
I saw the headlines for that. Can we get a link, please, Brian? Yes, I will drop it in the Slack. And there you go. So that's github.com slash cstockton slash go dash c-o-n-v. Looked interesting. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that and think of use cases where I don't uh, typically just use like uh, stirconf or whatever. Mm -hmm. Everybody has different pronunciations of these um, standard library packages. Like I'd love to get like a list of just because you don't really say these things, right? So like everybody now knows it's thumped, right? But nobody, <laughs> nobody knew that before. I don't, think, I don't think everybody knows that still. You know, the 1500 people at GopherCon were all shocked the first time they heard that. Yeah, I think I think people call it stircom for the um I always I used to pronounce string. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've, I've had several strange moments where people pronounce package names and I thought I don't say it that way. <laughs> I will never forget the first time I heard thumped. It was from Katrina, and I was stumped. You were stumped like, by thumped? thumped? <laughs> it was pronounced thumped. I'm like, really? <laughs> I would never guess. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh -huh. So also, um, I don't think that it would be an episode of Go Time without me mentioning another database that I found written in Go. So this one's called Summit DB. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, so it looked like it was built on top of Bunt DB, which I think we may have mentioned before on the show. Mm -hmm. um, but it's basically backed by the Raft consensus algorithm, but it, it has um, uh, kind of wire compatibility with Redis. But some of the cool things with it is spatial indexing, and that tends to be something that I look at a lot because... People are doing more and more stuff like that with bounding boxes and trying to find things that fall within, you know, the overlapping. So geospatial and uh, indexing is really cool and can be useful in different types of projects. So I thought that was cool. And I think that it uses auto, which is um, JavaScript interpreter. Yeah, you can bridge between JavaScript and Go. And I think that's kind of how they're using it for queries under the hood. But it, in my, my defense, I have not dug in too deep, but I knew that it does have a, kind of Redis compatibility too. So I think that's really cool. And it's all in memory. Yeah, that's, that's pretty slick. And they claim ACID compliance, which, which is interesting. I wonder how fast it is if it's got Raft and ACID at the same time. You know, those, those two together sound kind of mutually exclusive. Fast plus Raft. You have to have con consensus between machines, but you're getting consistency in an acid database there's got to be a trade-off there maybe the trade-off is no disk rights right so and for anybody who's listening live um there's two ways you can get these links we we try to do our best while we're talking about these things to either drop the link in the GoTime fm slack channel and on twitter so if you're following along on either of those you should be able to find these links as we're talking about them at, at GoTime fm on twitter Yes, at GoTime FM. Okay, so I think that it's about time for another sponsor break. Who do we got? We have Code School today, which is kind of awesome. I think I mentioned uh, last show that I had uh, gone through their new Go course led by Carlos Sauza. And uh, you can go to codeschool.com slash go, learn about the track or the, uh, the course called On Track with Go. Uh, we really appreciate Code School sponsoring the show, and we're excited to see what this course covers. 
I was really impressed by the production quality of the show. It's got uh, really good graphics and good presentation. And uh, it's kind of an exciting program if you're you're starting with Go and looking for a place to go, <laughs> no pun intended, to do that, then head over to codeschool.com slash go and take a look at that that class called On Track with Go. Yeah, Code School has a history of doing kind of really kind of creative and engaging coursework. Like I still remember the Rails for Zombies stuff. It was one of the first things we were recommending in the, the Ruby world. Um, for people who are interested in learning Ruby on Rails. That's the team over in Orlando, right? Uh, no, that's um, MV Labs. What was the thing they created? I thought, I, well, I thought they got bought by Code School. All right, now I got to Google it. <laughs> that is a, that's a very good question. Don't make me Google it. What was the name of their training thing? It was MV Labs. I, I think you're right. I think, I think it was MV Labs. That they were bought by Pluralsight, no? Isn't that oh, what you're talking yes, about? Yes, that wasn't. That's what I it was. was. I had them confused. Not Code School. Wait, no, right. you're you're right. MV Labs. MV Labs is Code School. Cre- created Code School. Ha ha! And then that was brought by Pluralsight. Yeah. Don't mess with my memory. Just because I'm 45 <laughs> years old doesn't mean I'm stupid. Just means I'm old and I can't see or hear. So, but still, regardless <laughs> of the history of Code School. <laughs> And it's who, awesome, who now owns it? Yeah, their their training has always been really cool. And uh, I, I just pulled up their site too. They've got a bunch more training stuff too, like surviving APIs. <laughs> nice with Rails, Rails for zombie outlaws. <laughs> I subscribed to their to their courses for a long time when I was doing Rails. I'm looking forward to checking out this Go course. Yeah, they've got great production quality, so it, it's good stuff. Here we go. My my brother is serving as your memory right now. He uh, just Uh-oh. messaged me and said he thinks the other one you were thinking about in Orlando is Treehouse. No. No. No, I was okay, definitely so thinking good. about Envy. Okay, so he, he is wrong. <laughs> but Treehouse is um, where, where Joe Steele worked. Yes. Somebody else went there. Yeah, so, so now we're talking about Tampa people. <laughs> Sorry. So... If, if you're from Tampa and you know Joe, you know who we're talking yeah. about. Shout out to Joe. Uh, so moving on to uh, Free Software Friday. Who wants to go first this week? I do, I do, I do. All right. Pick me. Pick or me, least, please. Yeah. <laughs> go, <ahead. sighs> go, Brian. So I want to shout out to the folks at CoreOS. I've been uh, doing all I'm all over the place this week doing training materials and spinning up Linux machines and and I realized that pretty much everything I did had a CoreOS component in it at some point this week. So uh, shout out to all the folks at CoreOS and the people who help maintain CoreOS Linux, etcd, Fleet, Flannel, you know, all of the the great tools that CoreOS has been uh, putting out in the open source community. We appreciate it. I know that they're building a commercial product on top of Kubernetes called Tectonic, um, but I, I'm happy that they work so hard to give back to the open source community while they're still trying to make a buck. I think that's a, a, great, um, a great business model. So thanks, OroS. It's surprising when I, I look at kind of the stuff that they put out. Like the amount there of their own projects they're contributing, and like you said, there there's even more that you haven't mentioned. You know, they had a uh, uh, Claire, which does vulnerability scanning on containers, and 
so many things they're putting out, but they're also contributing back to, you know, Linux kernel, system D, like all these things. And it's hard to believe that this is actually a, a company that, you know, is for profit. Yeah. Because it seems like everything they do is just kind of uh, free to the world and helping out. So I think that we owe them a ton of gratitude for um, all the things that they're doing in in the Go world and in the container and orchestration space. Yeah. We didn't even mention Rocket and how much work they've done in Kubernetes. Yes. Good good folks over there at CoreOS. And how about you, Carlicia? I want to give a shout out to Kathy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to give and a shout delightful out. Delightful alternative Red Bull. <laughs> it's amazing what two cups of coffee can do. I tell you. Anyway, I want to give a shout out to this repo that is called Stability Badges. Basically, it gives you SVG badges for, it says for Go projects, but I can't see why this couldn't be used for any project. And it lists um, the badges are things like experimental, unstable, stable, frozen, and chaotic, deprecated. So it would be super nice if project maintainers could add badges to their repo so people would know, hey, you know, this is deprecated or this is active, stable, or experimental. Oh, that is pretty cool. It, it is, isn't it? It's I like crazy. That. Yeah. Is there one that I could put on all of my projects that says, warning, don't touch? <laughs> oh, there is. Experimental. Yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm looking for the one that says, I wrote this a really long time ago. I barely knew Go. It kind of worked. I'm doing other things now. I'm better now. <laughs> I'm better now. And I don't use it. Stability status. Don't judge me. Exactly. I like that one. <laughs> I'm making hey, my own badge. There's always a, there's always a PR. That's only a PR away. That's true. My first pull request. Don't judge me. All right. I'm going to pull up the link for mine real quick so that we can kind of get a head start for anybody who wants to look at this like while we're talking about it. Because it does a lot. This is crazy. Yeah. So m mine for today is called My Looking Glass, which is, uh, is kind of abbreviated My LG. But it's it's actually really cool because it's it's one tool and this is all written in Go, but it does like ping, trace route. Um, you can actually look up, you can do BGP and look up uh, routes, who is uh, port scanning. You can look at peering information, um, DNS. Trying to think of everything else that this does. I think it does um, layer two kind of uh, discovery, um, trace routes, TCP dump. But it's yeah, it's all kind of discovery. Like, I did uh, I did MDNS discovery on my network with it like a, a week ago, trying to find a device that I couldn't find an IP address for. It's awesome. Yeah, it's just it's really cool because it also kind of has um, an interactive kind of console that you deal with, and just it's kind of all in one place. And I just find it interesting because many of the tools that we use for these like have just been kind of been set in stone for so many years. You just kind of lean on them all the time. So it's interesting to see people reapproaching that. And I, I find it even more cool that it's all written in go. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm trying to break my habit because I'm just used to typing dig or NS lookup or, you know, things like that. So I'm trying to, uh, and map and 
stuff like that. So I'm, I'm trying my best to be like, no, you know, net stat. Yeah. That's, you know, I swear I use net stat 16 times a day. Net stat dash LNTP. Who the hell is listening on that port? And you look at the man page for net stat 20 times a day. <laughs> no, cause I only use it for one thing to find out who's listening on the damn port I'm trying to open. So one of my one of my fav- all time favorite Linux commands is uh, LSF the list open file list, list open files. Yeah, that's awesome to be able to see who has a port or a file open, or to see what files your process has open. You can go the other way around too. So I think that's particularly cool. Yeah, see that's that's where I've used LSOF trying to move a binary from one machine to the other and call LSOF to see which. Uh, shared libraries it's using or what where it finds its configuration that was that was another thing i used it you know where's the damn configuration file for this you call lsof oh there it is in etsy whatever yeah the only other command i've used a ton this week is s trace which you're on your own there yeah you're either using it for a lot of fun or a lot of pain (laughs) (laughs) now i've had a weird issue with um docker um like the container taking like 10 times the amount of time in a sleep like consuming 10 times the amount of time in, in on the cpu during a sleep call whether or not it was running in the container or out and then it turned out to be that it's something in the sec comp profile um some one of the syscalls so you run it you run it unconfined or in privileged mode problem disappears did you phone a friend and call jess Brazil? i did I did, and awesome. it still, yeah, still wasn't able to to kind of track down. It, it's got to be like another system call being called by another system call. I I eventually gave up. I was like, eh. if, if if anybody <laughs> knew about SecComp and Docker, it would be Jess. Yeah, I I told her I knew she had fun with stuff like that, and she I didn't think she thought fun was the proper <laughs> word for it. And uh, and there's it's it can be fun to dig into these things sometimes because you always come out the other side learning a lot more. But on the other hand, when you have deadlines to meet, you uh, you end up more stressed than anything. Okay, so did we have anything else we wanted to talk about before we close out the show for today? I can't think of anything. Me neither. We're all over the map today. A good show. <laughs> That's been fun. It's the ADHD edition of. Go time FM. It's uh, I forgot to take my Adderall edition. So uh, with that, I want to thank everybody who's still on the show. And Blake, if you listen to this when it's recorded, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, Thanks to everybody who's listening live and interacting with us uh, through Slack. And thank you to all the listeners who will be listening once this episode's released. Huge shout out to our sponsors, Linode and Code School, for making this happen, especially kind of uh, Linode for being the provider of our new changelog system. And again, if you have not seen that site, please go look at it because it is awesome and everybody worked really hard. And we should put in the show notes uh, links to people's Twitter handles so everybody can thank all the people responsible for making it happen. Um, and don't forget Fastly. For their yes. awesome CDN and for uh, making the wise decision to hire Carlicia. <laughs> that's, that's our favorite part of all is that they hired Carlicia. Well, 
I want to say that uh, I put the Gopher Com Brazil website on the Fastway Network, which, by the way, they are comping it, so it's free. Wow. And uh, there is this this site called webpagetest.org where you plop your URL and you get grades for different aspects of your website and mostly has to do with speed. And you, you went from an F to a A. It was amazing. Just by, not, I didn't even tweak anything on the Fastly side because there are a lot of things you can tweak. I just added a CDN. So there we go. Fastly is awesome. Wow. Now I'm, I'm testing gophercon.com right now because I got to know. Test <laughs> all the things. This is awesome. That's cool. All right. Where, so where did I leave off? You were congratulating the panel and thanking the listeners and yes, I don't know. And then um, if you have not subscribed already, uh, GoTimeFM, you can subscribe. Um, eventually, we're going to kind of get a weekly email going out. Um, so make sure to sign up there. Uh, follow us on Twitter if you're not. We're at GoTimeFM. Um, if you want to be on the show or have suggestions for topics or guests, uh, please submit an issue on our GitHub repository, which is github.com slash GoTimeFM slash ping. And I think that is it. Uh, Thanks again, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.